not the ugly duckling. Let me try that again. We're going to read from John chapter 3, the ugly duckling half of John chapter 3. Everyone knows John chapter 3, the first half. The second half, though, is, is, is a little bit less common. And quite frankly, it's weird. Let, let's read. You might, you, might, you might have heard a similar story to this before. I don't know. Let's, let's see how it goes. Uh, then Jesus and his disciples left Jerusalem and went into the Judean countryside. Jesus spent some time uh, with them there baptizing people. At this time, John the Baptist was baptizing near Enon, near Salem, uh, because there was plenty of water there, and people kept coming to him for baptism. This was before uh, John was thrown into prison. Uh, a debate broke out between John's disciples and a certain Jew over ceremonial cleaning or cleansing. And so John's disciples came to him and said, oh, Rabbi, the man you met on the other side of the Jordan River, the one you identified as the Messiah, he's also baptizing people. And everybody's going to him instead of coming to us. John replied, no one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. You." You yourselves know how plainly I told you, I am not the Messiah. I am only here to prepare the way for him. It's the bridegroom who marries the bride. And the best man is simply glad to stand there with him and hear his vows. Therefore, I am filled with joy at his success. He must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. He has come from above and is greater than anyone else. We are of the earth and we speak of earthly things, but he has come from heaven and is greater than anyone else. He testifies about what he has seen and heard, but how few believe what he tells them. Anyone who accepts his testimony can affirm that God is true, for he is sent by God. He speaks God's words, for God gives him the spirit without limit. The father loves his son and has put everything into his hands. And anyone who believes in God's son has eternal life. Anyone who doesn't obey the son will never experience eternal life, but remains under God's angry judgment. An interesting passage, isn't it? It's a bit of a strange one in many ways. Uh, just a few years ago, um, I heard of a church, uh, I, I knew somebody who went to be the pastor there, um, and he almost didn't go and be the pastor at this particular large church in, in Perth, because they had a very interesting constitution. Um, there's, a, there's a series of doctrines called the doctrines of eschatology, or different ways of interpreting uh, when Jesus comes back and how that exactly is going to look. And this particular church, if you were going to be a member of the church, I think, or at very least, if you're going to be a pastor of the church, you had to hold to a particular, particular interpretation of how the Bible should be read. I've heard of other churches where, uh, where the Constitution includes an order of worship. So it, it is in the legal documents of the church uh, you know, we're going to start with a prayer, then we're going to have two songs, and then we're going to pray again, 
and then we're going to have another song and then we're going to have a sermon that goes for so long and then or maybe not so long but we're, we're going to then have another song and that is it and we may not change that because that is the law of this church and i, I look at things like this and i i see them and i i think these were probably done with good intentions but as a side effect, they can stop the church moving with God as he moves. And, and stop the church not adapting the gospel, but adapting how they present the gospel to new generations. So that, so that new generations can learn how to love Jesus and put him first in their lives. Um, as I said, today's passage, the second half of John chapter 3, is it's less well known than that famous passage from of Nicodemus last week, but but I think it's one that's important for us as a church and as the global church, but us also as the local church to hear, because it tells the story I think of of when our work for God actually get in the way of God at work. It's a story of of Jesus stealing our thunder which just sounds wrong to say it. So we start off here in verse 22, and we, we find out that both Jesus and John are busy baptizing people. Um, uh, actually, if you go to chapter 4, verse 2, uh, we've got a little parenthesis which says, Jesus himself didn't baptize people. His disciples baptized uh, people. And, and it's while John's disciples are baptizing people, and just by the way, there are still people coming to John for baptism, uh, wanting to get ready for God. And while John's disciples are busy doing this, they get into an argument with, with a certain Jew who, I mean, who this Jew is obviously isn't all that important. The fact is that they get into an argument. And, and, um, and, and if you look at the original language, there's a hint there that it's actually John's disciples who pick the fight. So they're the ones who start the debate. They argue about ceremonial washing, maybe, maybe about the whole point of baptism. So if, if you were a non-Jew, a Gentile, wanting to become a Jew, you would get baptized as a way of, you know, putting off your old life and taking on the new life. Um, Jews would practice ceremonial washing, which is, which is not about, it, it's different. It's not a baptism. It's just about a, a you know, cleansing. Um, but for Jews to get baptized was very unusual because baptism is kind of like, it's a, it's a marker for becoming one of God's people. And a lot of people would, would have argued and said, well, why on earth would a Jew, one of God's people, do something that makes you one of God's people? We don't, we don't know the details um, about this argument, but, but it, it seems to move quite quickly into that argument phase. And, and, and maybe... We don't know, but maybe they get taunted. Yeah, well, you guys think you're so great. Well, that Jesus over there, you've got a crowd here today. His crowd is three times as big as yours. All we know is that John's followers, his disciples, his apprentices, they come to their master, John the Baptist, and they are angry. It's a pity we don't have uh, or emojis hadn't been invented in uh, in the classical world because I, I think this would be a perfect case just to throw an angry face emoji in there to let us know something of their emotion. But I, I, I think reading between the lines, 
these guys are just ever so very much mad. Maybe they're in a bad mood because of this certain Jew taunting them, but, but certainly I think in a bad mood because Jesus is stealing their glory. These disciples, these apprentices of John, were there when John had called Jesus the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. They knew that John the Baptist had identified Jesus as the Messiah. But as we look at them and, and we look at their lives here, it seems that they weren't people who themselves put their trust in Jesus. Some of John's apprentices left to follow Jesus. These guys stayed true to John. This was their, this was their service. John had probably had a huge influence on their lives. They, they probably uh, met him. They probably realized that they needed to have a change in direction, that they, that they needed to, to make themselves ready for God, that they were sinners, that they needed God's grace and forgiveness. And, and, and John, in, in, in following John, they had a purpose. They had a sense of life. They had a job to do for God, to get people ready for God. This was what their life was all about. I think these guys were seriously working for God. I, I think, as I say, we're reading between the lines here, but if you start out as a follower of John, if you start out as an apprentice of John, you are someone who has at least recognized that you need forgiveness, that you are a broken person. But I also look at these people and I see people who were so invested in what they were doing for God that they weren't willing to accept the new thing that God was doing. They were so busy working for God that they didn't even want to let God work in Jesus. There was, there was a place for John to still be going around baptizing people, calling them to repentance, uh, getting the way ready for Jesus. But, but that was the point of it. It was all along about getting things ready for Jesus. It sounds ludicrous. The children's story sounded ridiculous. The idea that someone would, would complain. This sounds ridiculous. That they would come and complain. Jesus is getting all the glory. But the thing is, I can see myself. And I can see us. In these disciples of John. We can be so invested in what we are doing for God. In, in how we are serving God. In, in the ways that we serve God, maybe the ways that we worship God, the ways that we are. That sometimes the cart can end up pulling the horse. It can be about what we do and about how we are doing it and, and about this is, this is how it's always been done and this is, this, is, this is a good work from God. rather than about what God is doing right here and right now. We can start, and, and I think we tend to start with the best intentions of serving God. And somewhere along the track, we get so caught up in that, that we let ourselves get left behind from what God is doing. 
And they go to John the Baptist in this passage here and they expect him to share their outrage. This man that they've dedicated their lives to, this great work of God being, being made less by the new thing that God was doing. John, John's not outraged. He looks at them and he says, you guys, you know what I've said. Right from the get-go, I said, I'm not the Messiah. These guys had heard him call Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He says, my job is simply to point God's people to their true bridegroom, to point them to Jesus. His attitude is quite simple. It's, it's more of Jesus and less of me. What a difference that attitude would make, more of Jesus, less of me. It, it would set us free from, from having to defend our own ministries, our own work for God. It would set us free from, from having to defend our own way of, of how we do things. It would set us free to just embrace whatever it is God in Jesus is doing because our job is simply to point people to Jesus. And it's so easy for us to lose sight of that, to get caught up in the job rather than in Jesus to whom the job is pointing us to. And this is true for pastors. This is true for all of us. This is true for, for churches as corporate entities. Verse 31 uh, forwards is, is probably um, John the disciple's commentary on this whole conversation. His point is that we are all of the earth, but Jesus is the one from heaven. Jesus is the one who testifies to what he has seen. Jesus knows the Father's will. All those who accept Jesus recognize that God is true. Jesus, in other words, takes center stage. He speaks God's word. He isn't just some prophet filled for a particular purpose. He is the one to whom the spirit is given. He is given without limit. He is the one to whom the Father has given all things. And so when Jesus does something new, ours is simply to follow after him. And that's not always easy to do. Uh, some of us have, have personalities that want to cling to, to what we know works, to what is tried and tested and true. Um, one of my mother-in-law's favorite jokes is, uh, is the comment that um, sparkling water, soda water, is, is first mentioned in the Bible. when when Moses struck the rock and so the water came out, um, which, is, which is a wonderful joke. I really like it. Moses actually hits the rock twice. The first time God tells him to strike the rock and water comes out. The second time God says, Moses, I want you to speak to the rock and the water will come out. And Moses instead comes out and has a bit of a whinge at the Israelites, takes his stuff and hits the rock and water comes out. And God, God says, Moses, you didn't do the right thing. Uh, you rebelled against me. And, and this, is, this is one of the reasons, if not the reason, why Moses himself didn't go into the promised land. But, but why did Moses hit the rock? Well, because hitting the rock is what makes the water come out, isn't it? No. That's what works. Because I'm going to go for what is tried and tested and true and not trust 
that God might be doing something new. In Antioch, after Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension, the gospel spread out. And in Antioch, a situation arose where the non-Jewish, the Gentile believers were being told that in order to be real Christians, they had to, they had to essentially be Jewish. And this, this discussion comes to a council meeting, um, Acts chapter 15, uh, where people are gathering, where the church leaders are gathering, and they are discussing what is, what is to be done with this. And one of the clinching arguments comes from Peter, uh, who stands up and says, well, God has given his spirit to the non-Jews. How can we then ask them to take on a burden which we ourselves can't? God has done something new. And there were those who were arguing that, no, no, we can't embrace the new of God. We've got to bring people back. Now, when I say embrace the new, I'm not saying abandon all that God has done. I'm saying we need to be open to God doing something new in our midst. It is possible. It is possible for us to be doing God's work and yet not to be accepting God. Isn't that a scary thought? These disciples were doing God's work, but they didn't accept that Jesus was the Messiah. They don't even call him Jesus. He's, he's that man that you identified as the Christ. But what we need and what our world needs is Jesus. As this last verse says, if we believe in him, we have life. If we reject him, even for what seems like good reasons, we end up facing God's wrath because we've rejected the one that God sent to save us. John's disciples were doing an amazing job, a good job, telling and helping people to see their need for forgiveness. They just wouldn't go to the one who, who forgives. They were so intent on their ministry for God that they refused to accept God, that they missed. Now, this sermon is not chosen specifically to have a go at our church. It's just the passage that came up next in John chapter 3. But the very fact that I even have to say that speaks to me challenges me to go, why do you assume, why do you assume that we're going to have trouble with this? Why do you assume, Nick, that you're going to have trouble with having to do something new? I think the challenge for me, and I hope the challenge for you and the challenge for us in this is to stop and go, in all these things that, that I am doing and that we are doing, are we doing it just because this is what we do? Where is God? Where is God at work? What is God doing? Because that's where we want to be. We want to find ourselves. Let's pray.
Father God, we don't want to find ourselves doing a good work and missing you. Lord, I want to praise you for all the good work that has been done in this church and in your church globally and Western world in Australia and Perth. Lord, you have done amazing things. Thank you for that. Lord, help us to know where you are and what you are doing. Lord, help us to be with you. Lord, help us to not expect, help us not to think that we are the ones setting the agenda, but to allow you to do that. Lord, help us to love you. Lord, may our love for you not grow cold, but may it grow warm. May we not sink into religion, but rise into relationship with you. Lord, this is the challenge for us, that we not be like John's disciples who started out with a flame, sank into religion. Lord Jesus, you are the way and the truth. We're going to finish this morning's service with, uh, with a new song. Um, if you don't know it, I, I would invite you to, to listen. To, um, it's from Numbers chapter 6. This is actually the words are the words that God gave for the priests to bless the people of Israel. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious. If you want to sing along, sing along. Sing this over our church. Sing it over your family. Sing it over the families of those around you. If you're with someone right now, sing it to them. Bless them. For God is with us. He is our God. He has good in store. Let's sing together. Lord bless you.